1 Samuel chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 of this chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 6, 1 through 9. Now the ark of the Lord had been in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviner, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we shall send it to its place. And they said, If you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty. But you shall surely return to him a guilt offering. Then you shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then they said, What shall be the guilt offering which we shall return to him? And they said, Five golden tumors, five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on all of you and on your lords. So you shall make likenesses of your tumors and likenesses of your mice that, may rav that ravage the land. And you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will ease his hand from you, your gods, and your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had severely dealt with them, did they not allow the people to go, and they departed? Now therefore take and prepare a new cart, and two milk cows, on which there has never been a yoke, and hitch the cows to the cart, take their calves away home away from them, and take the ark of the Lord, and place it on the cart, Put the articles of gold which you return to him as a guilt offering in a box by its side. Then send it away that it may go. And watch, if it goes up by the way of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then he has done this great evil to us. But if not, then, he sh then we shall know that it was not his hand that struck us. Look at this. But it happened to us by chance. A child was born in Israel, and it was a remarkable time. This boy was given an unusual name, Ichabod. Now, in the Hebrew, the word kabod means weight or heaviness, and it refers to what a person is in himself, his power and influence. When used of God, it refers to his glory. So when it talks about the kabod of God, they were referring to the glory and majesty of God. But the word ichabod means the glory of God departed. Now, why in the world would a father give his son the name Ichabod? The glory of God departed. A number of years ago, Johnny Cash had a song named The Boy Named Sue. I'm sure all these high schoolers who 
idolize Johnny Cash. He's, I'm sure he's one of their favorites. Remember that song, A Boy Named Sue. It was the ballad about a boy whose father gave him the name Sue, and he was always having to fight because kids were making fun of his name. He hated it. He found out later that's why his father gave it to him, so that he would learn to be aggressive and defend himself and tough. Why would a father give a boy the name Ichabod? So that wherever he went, it was a reminder of disgrace and destitution and shame. Well, if you turn back a few pages, you'll get the story. Remember that it was a time in Israel's life, a remarkable time, the time of the judges. And Israel was ruled by a man named Eli. He was an honorable and God-fearing righteous judge. And he ruled in justice and righteousness. He had two sons, Phinehas and Hophni. And even though these boys were raised to the priesthood, they were scandalous. And they committed immoral acts in the very shadow of the sacred place. And because Eli was not given to rebuke them or confront them, discipline them, God revealed to Samuel in a midnight voice that he was going to judge the sons of Eli. And he was going to judge Eli and the whole nation. And a war broke out with the Philistines. And 4,000 soldiers of the Israeli army were killed. They came back to the central sanctuary at Shiloh. And they asked Eli for permission to go back in battle but this time to take with them the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God. Now the Ark of the Covenant was the most holy and sacred vessel of the Jewish religion. It was kept in the holiest place. On the Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice. They begged to go back in battle, but to take with them this time the heavy weapon of the throne of God. A unquestionable reference to a magical religion. Now let me put the pause button on here and say briefly, there is a danger in the belief in a magical religion. There are some people who believe that if you just say the right words at the right time, God will give you anything you ask for. And there are some people who believe that if you make a certain vow, God is bound to make you prosperous. There's a danger in a magical religion. And so they ask, let us go back to battle. This time let us carry the heavy weapon with us, the throne of God, permission granted, and it was different this time. This time, 30,000 Israeli soldiers were killed, including the sons of Eli. And to make matters worse, they captured the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant did the Philistines, and they carried it away to desecrate it. Now Amjur went running back to Shiloh to bring the bad news. Eli sitting on a bench beside the road. He's 98 years old. He's overweight. He's blind. As the messenger comes, he said, I've got bad news. I've got bad news. 30,000 of us have been slain, including your sons. 
And Eli said, what about the Ark of the Covenant? And when he told him that the Ark had been captured, Eli fell over in shock, broke his neck, and died. Now the daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, came out of her house. She was heavy with child, very pregnant. And when she heard the news, she went into premature labor. And there in the dust of the road, she gave birth to a child, and she died. And a midwife came by, picked up the, the baby boy, and called him Ichabod. The glory of God departed. In Hemingway's play, For Whom the Bell Told, there is this line, God is not here anymore, neither is His Son nor the Holy Spirit. God is departed. Now the Philistines were having a heyday. They took the Ark of the Covenant back to Ashdod, to the temple of their god, Dagon. And they went into his shrine and they placed this ark at the feet of Dagon, their pagan god, in a position of subordination and shame. And they went out and they parted all night. They came back the next morning and to their amazement, their god Dagon, this idol, was prostrate at the throne of God. He toppled over during the night. And so they propped up their God and hoisted him up and propped him up. Not unlike what some of us have to when we worship pagan gods. At some point, they always topple over. And so they propped up Dagon and they went out. And the next morning, they came back and Dagon had fallen and smashed to a thousand pieces at the throne of God. And a plague broke out. And tumors came upon these people at, at Ashdod. Now, I'm not going to tell you the literal word for the tumors, but I will say that I would have loved to have had the Preparation H um, concession in Ashdod. How they, if you get the, get the gist, <laughs> get the message. And they were stricken with tumors and an infestation of mice. So they began to, they said, well, we're going to get rid of this ark. And so they shifted it, they sent it to Gath, and the plague of tumors and mice came to Gath. And so they started playing musical ark. They just switched it from one town to the other. There were five major provinces, and every time they'd move it to another town, the plague would come. So they had a summit. And the five kings of these towns got together and asked, what are we going to do about this ark? And one of them said, I got the answer. Let's send it back to Israel. Good answer. I mean, they all clapped. Good answer. Good answer. What a suggestion. I mean, he's the smartest one. Let's get rid of this thing. Send it back where we got it. But one of them said, I'll tell you what, we cannot send it. One of the diviners said, we can't send it back empty. Let's put a, a gold tumor and a gold mice, one for each province, in the ark and send it back as a guilt offering. And we'll see if God has caused this. And there's, here is where the story thickens and my interest is picked. 
One of them said, I'll tell you what, let's do. Let's yoke two milk cows that have never carried a burden. And we'll yoke them together and make a new cart and put this ark on the cart. And we'll separate them from their calves. Now, if you know anything about, if you grew up on a farm or know anything about farm life, you know that when you separate a mother cow from the calf, you, the mother cow, has a problem. And they won't leave. They, they'll just go back and look for that calf, and they'll cry all the time they're looking for it. We call it bawling, you know, out on the farm. We'll separate this, these milk cows from their um, calves. And if they go straight to, to Beth Shemesh, if they go straight to the border town of Israel, we'll know that this is something... As a, that is against nature. We'll know this is something supernatural and that God's hand has been heavy on us. But if they just wander around or go back to the barn, we'll know that all of this has happened by chance. Now, we learned something this morning about the Philistines we probably had not known before. The Philistines were very religious people. They had a shrine. They had an organized religion. They had an altar. They had a God. But with their organized religion and their temple and their shrine and their altar and their God, they were practical, functional atheists. Now you ask me, why would you say that they are functional, practical atheists? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Let me preface my answer to the question with this. In the 17th century, the Westminster Confession was adopted primarily by our Calvinistic friends, the Presbyterians. And in this creedal statement, the Westminster Confession, there is this article. I want to see if you agree with it. It says this. God has from all eternity freely and immutably ordained whatsoever has come to pass, comma. From all eternity God has freely and immutably ordained all that has come to pass. How many of you, show of hands, believe that? Would you lift your hand? From all eternity, God, nobody believes. Okay, you lift your hand. No, I'm not going to embarrass you. You believe that? Okay, many of you do. You don't have to show of hands on this one. How many of you would say that you are an atheist? Now, you don't have to show your hands. <laughs> You're an atheist. Now, I want to speak to those of you who do not believe that article of Westminster Confession. If you do not believe, and ordain means set in, set in place, set in rule. It means to permit or to cause. For those of you who do not believe that everything that has happened in this world from all eternity, except by the ordination of God, then that means that there are those things which come to pass that are apart from God. Logically, that's what that means. That if God has not ordained everything that's come to pass freely and immutably, then there are some things that happen that are apart from God, apart from His control. To believe that there are things that happen apart from the control of God 
is to believe in a God who is less than sovereign. It's to believe in a God who is something less than God. Now, let me read what's, let me tell you what is after the comma in the article. But not in such a way that does violence to the full of people or obliterate the natural causes of his will. End of quote, end of article. But not in such a way has he ordained freely and fully, immutably, everything has come to pass. But not in such a way that does violence to the full, to the, uh, full choice of people or obliterate the natural causes of his will. Now, what that article affirms is this. Now, watch this carefully. We're going somewhere with this. Now, watch this. Though we recognize that there is really such a thing as free human acts or choices, and that there are real powers taking place in this world of cause and effect, above everything always stands the sovereignty of God. He's got the whole world in His hands. And even though there are free choices that man has and free powers of cause and effect, God stands above that and He has the whole world in His hands as sovereign. He's got nature in His hands. He's got the church in His hands. He's got the state in His hands. He's got you and me, brother, in His hands. Under His absolute sovereignty. Now watch this. There's not a single molecule in the universe that is running around loose from the sovereignty and the power and the control of Almighty God. Think of it. If there is one maverick molecule in this world that's not under His control, then nothing He's ever promised you matters because it might be that maverick molecule that would obliterate His promise to you. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God, you don't believe in God. Now that's why these Philistines were functional uh, atheists, because, watch this, because in their scheming as to why this happened, they gave the possibility that it happened by chance. In their scheming, they considered the possibility that something could happen by coincidence. Now we know that these Philistines are pre-scientific and they don't have the benefit of 20th century knowledge so we can kind of excuse them because you and I know that nothing happens by chance, don't we? A few years ago, R.C. Sproul was talking to a teacher at Harvard University and this guy was an atheist and Sproul said, let me ask you this. He said, if you're an atheist, how do you explain creation? And the teacher said, I explain it like this. It happened by chance. Now, i got a coin in my pocket. It happens to be a penny. That's the biggest one I carry. <laughs> now, I'm going to flip this coin up in the air. Now, what are the chances 
you guys here, the, my scholars here on the front row, what are the chances, assuming it doesn't land on its edge, what are the chances that it will come up head or tails? 50-50. You believe that? I don't believe that. Chances are it'll come up head or tails 100 and 100. I mean, it's going to come up head or tails, 100% chance of that. I mean, right? That's right. Trick question. Y'all right. got it, but my scholars didn't, right? Now, what are, let me ask it a little bit different. What are the chances this coin will come up heads? 50? 50? 50-50. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a physicist. I don't want you physicists getting on me after the service. <laughs> I'm not. But, but, but we use, we, we, we talk about mathematical possibilities. Assuming that it doesn't land on its, age, its edge, the mathematical possibilities have to do with heads or tails, right? Every time they get ready to play the Super Bowl, they, they talk about the mathematical possibilities of that thing, you know, flipping the coin, it'll come up heads, and how they're going to call head or tails, you know what I'm saying? Now, but chance doesn't have anything to do with it. I mean, chance doesn't cause it come up heads. That's a word we use to describe mathematical possibilities. I mean, how I flip it and whether I turn it over or not, all those factors have to do with heads or tails, but chance doesn't have anything to do with it. Chance is a, is a non-entity. Chance has no power. Chance is a no thing. Now, if you say that fast, chance is a no thing. Say it fast. Chance is a no thing. You, you just said it. Chance is nothing, and something can't come out of nothing. There's no such thing as anything happening by chance. Now you're asking this question, it's a good question. What in the world does that have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with you. It has something to do with what you think about God. If he's in control of everything, if he's sovereign God or not, it means that whatever happens to you, he either caused or permitted, and he's a loving God. It's not wrong. It'll make a lot of difference with regard to how you view the plan of God for your life. Now, we grow up thinking about the special providence of God. Now, what I mean by that is if there's something unusual or abnormal happening to us, we, we talk about how God took care of that, like I didn't have enough to pay for the next rent. The check came just in the nick of time from a place I didn't even suspect it. And we get up and give a testimony of how God took care of that. And, and we were hungry and somebody brought us some food. And, and we talk about how God in His providence took care of us. And we talk about the special providence of God. And we should. But where'd you get that toast you ate this morning? The more something, the more usual something is, the more normal something is, the less we attribute that to God. Where'd you get that, brec that breakfast you had this morning? And when you get home this morning from, from, from service, when you get home, if it's afternoon or morning, if you get home, when you, you, you drive in your garage and you walk in the house, you need to thank God for the fact that nobody ran a light, stoplight, and plowed you under. That's the providence of God as well. You ever thought of that? That He is woven into the fiber and the fabric of His universe. And the little ditty goes like this. Back of the loaf is a snowy flower. 
and back of the flour is the meal, and back of the meal is the wheat and the shower and the sun and the Father's will. It makes a big difference also in what I believe about prayer. If God is not in control of everything, why pray? I mean, flip a coin. If life is a crapshoot, I just as soon not pray because I have just as great a chance, 50-50, as it turning out the way I want it is not if I don't pray. It makes a big difference in my, what I believe about prayer. Maybe that's why you and I don't pray any more than we pray. We don't feel like it does any diff- makes any difference, do any good. And it makes a lot of difference in what I, how I view stewardship because if I believe that this moment I have in my time, on the timeline right now that I live, is really God's moment, it makes a difference how I'm going to live it. It makes a difference what I do with my money and my time. If it's really God's, if He's in control of it, it makes a lot of difference in what happens to you and how you live. You understand what I'm saying? Now, how'd this thing turn out? Well, the Scripture says they loaded up this cart and they hitched it up to those cows and they headed straight to Beth Shemesh. Didn't look to the right or to the left. The Scripture says that they went lowing as they went. Now, I thought I knew what that meant because I've many, many, many times, I can count them on my hands and feet today, the number of times that we've separated a cow from its mother on the farm to wean it. And that old cow would bawl all night, cry, was moan, cry, call for that calf. And so that, those two old milk cows headed toward Bethshemus, crying all the way. It was against their nature. It was supernatural. I thought that's what that meant until a person told me one time, said, no, lowing, cows low when they're content. Have you uh, seen that... Uh, Bluebell ice cream commercial, that singing cow. I love it. My wife's favorite commercial. True story. Old cow's out there in the middle of this pasture just singing. Birds look up. <laughs> it's hilarious. Maybe they just went singing to Bethshemus. Onward, Christian cows. I don't know how, I don't know what the deal is, but I mean, they were glad to do it. They were glad to do it. When they got to Bethshemus, listen to this, they walked straight into the flashing, thrashing floor and stopped dead in their tracks to attention. And if you read this story, the story says that they drew near the ark and somebody must have looked in and they looked at the ark and someone cried, Kabod, the glory of God is back. Kabod. The glory of God has returned. And so they took this cart and they made firewood out of it and they made a sacrifice and they sacrificed those two milk cows on the very spot where God's glory returned. Years later, a lamb headed toward the altar and he went his face set toward the altar. He didn't look to the right or to the left, and he opened not his mouth. Like a sheep dumb before his shearers, he opened not his mouth. 
and he was the incarnation of the glory of God. And John said, we beheld him, the kabod. The word is doxa in the Greek, the equivalent of the Hebrew word. We beheld the doxa of God. And he went to that altar, and everything you read in the book indicates that he didn't die by coincidence. That there was not a thing that happened by chance. And that God in eternity past freely and immutably ordained whatever came to pass. And he was crucified as God planned. You're not here by accident or by chance. Don't kid yourself. Where you are this morning is because God freely ordained it. Don't kid yourself. Your life means more to God than that. His plan for your life is much more important than just to allow things to go along by coincidence and and chance. What happened to you this week? What happened to you this morning? What happened to you now is a part of the plan of God. Now what's God wanting you to do? I think you all, each of you knows what God wants of you. Specifically. Now the question is, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for reminding us of this, this holy thing. And I pray that you'll give us courage to make response. For I ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Now there are three invitations. Look here. We're going to all sing together just as I am. And we'll not tarry long. If God has ordained from all eternity this moment, then it's a magnificent moment and you need to give special attention. Listen. If you've ever been confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you've rejected Christ, you're lost and separated for all eternity from God. And your only destination is an eternal hell. The only way you can be saved is through Jesus Christ, His sacrifice at Calvary and your faith in Him, your trust in Him. And if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do that today for your salvation from now on for all eternity. The invitation for you to come this morning and place your life in this church. If you, God has led you here and things have happened that just convince you this is where God wants you to live and serve or to recommit your life to Christ. Whatever God has laid on your heart, that's what you should do.
while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.